Welcome to The Harmonious Hustle, where I'll share how to lean into success without sacrificing yourself, because you don't have time for that. I'm Nicole Sylvester, best-selling author, spiritual teacher, mentor, mama, and I'm all about saying hell yes to your best life. I'll let you in on my favorite tips and tools for feeling your absolute best. Plus, real, unfiltered conversations and inspiration on wellness, business, spirituality, relationships, self-love, confidence, money, and more. I promise to bring you truth without the BS so you can find success on your terms and feel amazing. Join my new Harmonious Hustle Facebook group to stay connected and ask questions. Connect with me on Instagram if you haven't already, and be sure to say hello because I love meeting my community. Are you ready for an upgrade? Let's get started. Today's episode is a little different than anything else I've brought on the show, and that's beautiful. You're really going to enjoy this. This guest is an example of what it means to truly follow your heart, let love win, An evidence of how love heals, how love brings life to things. Because truly, we all need each other. And that's not just humans, it's all species. So our guest today, Zach Scow, he has a TEDx talk you can check out. He's been all over the internet. You can Google him as I have, and you will find all sorts of interviews from things like Dr. Drew to the Dodo. And he has done some amazing things, but we're going to deep dive into him being diagnosed with a liver disease and given just short time to live to him realizing how dogs and essentially connection and love save his life. But how I found Zach wasn't really just by finding him. I started following these dog accounts. As you all know, I love dogs. And when I was living in LA, I fell in love with dogs and I got connected to a few rescues who foster dogs and I started fostering puppies. And then there goes me getting obsessed with all of the dog accounts on the internet. And I come across this dog account, positive change, not positive, but paws, like dog paws positive change program and they are bringing dogs that they rescued from death row right dogs that are about to be euthanized they rescue these dogs and they take them into prison and juvenile hall and they use these dogs to bring connection back into these inmates And you watch how the dogs rehab the humans and the humans rehab the dogs. And I mean, it is so freaking heart opening. I love it. So I I just kept watching. I was like, you know what? I need to interview this person. I didn't know if it was a woman or a man. And then Natalie, my assistant, finds out that it's Zach. So then I find out that it's positive change is also connected to Marley's Mutts. And Marley's Mutts is another another branch of this and and Zach founded Marley's Mutts, which he'll tell you more about, but he's already saved over 5,000 dogs with this organization. I just want you to think about that. 5,000 plus dogs, life's changed. And not only that, but you'll see there's all sorts of celebrities and things like that that are following what he's doing because it's big. 
and he has dogs that are misfits, you know, with, with only two legs or, you know, missing a leg or, you know, they take dogs in this other program that we touch on, they take dogs that are dying and it's almost like a hospice to give them a good, you know, final day. So anyway, I'm so inspired by his work. It is heart opening. It's beautiful. And, you know, it just takes a special kind of human to do this. So enjoy it. Let me know what you thought about this episode. And as always, screenshot it, tag us, um, look him up, follow him, follow the different programs he's a part of, and let us know what you think. And if this helped you, share it with someone. Share it with someone because giving back and helping is such an activator. And you don't know who in your life may be feeling disconnected to purpose, disconnected from themselves, disconnected from love, and this episode could remind them to get out there and just serve, to help someone, to connect with animals, to connect with nature, and remember who they really are. Now, before we get started, I just want to remind all of you that if you haven't already given this a rate and review, please do so. If you're vibing with this and you love the podcast, do that for me. I love to read your reviews, but also I'm going to share them and tag you and and shout you out. The other thing I want to remind you of is that my book just turned one years old. One year, not one years. One year old and we've been still to this day just getting the feedback from, you know, what this book has helped. And, you know, as I talked to Zach in the show, he's someone that has gone through recovery and had to rehabilitate himself. And, you know, my book is also about getting clean, showing up for yourself, connecting to your truth, and living at your fullest potential. It's also connected to service. So before we go into this episode, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, because I've gotten some emails lately where people are asking me, is there a hardcover? Is it on Audible yet? No and no. But there is a paperback version on Amazon that you will enjoy and you will love and it will remind you that you are made for more. It will remind you of what the human spirit is capable of. It will remind you to step up and live unapologetically now. So go ahead and head over to Amazon or my Instagram and that is available there. For now, just enjoy the show. All right, guys. So this is going to be super inspirational. And if anything, I hope it just invites you to be more compassionate, to to see animals differently, to start thinking a little bit differently and see how you can help out. So we have Zach here on the show. And Zach, I'm just so grateful for you to come here and just share because I know you're doing so much good in the world and you're busy. So welcome to the Harmonious Hustle. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. <laughs> I, I love the name. I try to I try to live a harmonious hustle. I'm not always yeah. successful. Yeah, I know, right? It's like constantly coming back to it. And I've just like redefined it to be finding success without sacrificing yourself. So like whatever that feels like for, for each of us. Um, and you're doing so much selfless work. So I want to, I want to just dive into this. You have Marley's Mutts, what, which is you, what you founded first, right? Yep. And then positive change like Paul's like dog Paul's guys. And this is the program that originally caught my eye and it's a program that's saving death row dogs and taking them and matching them with um, men in prison and also now teen girls in juvenile hall. And yeah, so let's just talk about, tell us a little bit about those. And then we're going to talk about how you found your way into creating these things. 
Yeah. Well, so Marley's Mutts is our greater organization, and I founded that just about 10 years ago. Um, been in, in the dog rescue realm for 15 years. I started off at our local Humane Society when I was at my the worst of my worst, kind of like bitterly clinging to anything that would give me value in myself, you know, mm. in rescue. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll circle back to how I founded Marley's Mutts, but we founded it 10 years ago. And, you know, it's, it's what helped save my life. And um, it just kind of organically developed into a very large kind of rescue organization. We're still very grassroots. You know, we're still composed of a lot of volunteers and, uh, and also a lot of employees. Um, we focus on Los Angeles and Kern County. Mm. Those are our two primary areas of focus. And we take dogs from the shelter, just like any other rescue. Uh, and we integrate them into uh, a variety of different programs. You know, one of them being Miracle Mutts. So we have mm. a, like a therapy wing of our organization with a couple dozen therapy dogs we've certified through our own internal certification process which involves canine good citizen and stuff and essentially those dogs just travel all throughout our two counties and try to be of as much good and as much service to as many people as possible whether that be the valley achievement center for autistic kids or the bridges academy or or honor flight or you know hoffman hospice really it's Aww. kind of our belief that dogs are medicine and so the more we can get people in and around and kind of coexisting with dogs, the better, especially when they're kind of at a low point or could use, yeah. you know, some of the, the distraction and the kind of a demonstrated resilience that comes with animals. And yeah. Um, yeah. And so Marley's Mutts has just been kind of meteorically like exponentially growing since we were founded in 2009. And we, we've been trying to create a prison program for a very long time. I started at this seven years ago, trying to get our local jail Lairdo, which is a jail facility on board with a positive change program. And it wasn't until I, you know, we, we just kept kind of having problems trying to get through the door. They don't make it easy, you know, unless yeah. you have an established program, it's pretty tough to get in. Uh, and then Lisa Porter, who's our lead trainer kind of, you know, without her, I'm not sure any of this would have happened. She really helped us um, get in the door at California city correctional facility, which is a, uh, pretty much our closest prison it's in california city which is down the street from tehachapi which is where we're located and um yeah that started three and a half years ago we got our first our pilot program at california city and then it just grew to corcoran state prison after that and then north kern wasco now we have two programs at north kern one on the maximum security yard one on the um, level one yard they're all you know maximum security quote unquote it's just the guys who have lower points it just means they've been behaving themselves uh, and now we, we kicked off our first juvenile program uh, nine weeks ago here yeah. in Bakersfield at, at Juvenile Justice. And the key, the focus of positive change, you know, the original focus, which is pretty obvious, is let's put some at-risk dogs into the shelter with at-risk humans and kind of let some magic happen. You know, let's let's let them be there for one another in a spiritual physical and emotional level and kind of see what happens very quickly we realized this was this was a legitimate anti-recidivism program and that our guys were getting very 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 good um, now the reason they're very good is because we have the best trainers in the united states you know at what they do training very hands-on it's a very immersive program and they're they're fully involved you know it is um there's there's no let up it's a 14 week long program the dogs live in prison with them mm. uh, we go we go in for basically three to four hours a week um, with several several of us to different facilities and we 
we're there to connect with the guys. We're there to be there for them emotionally. We're there to, to really try and tear down walls that they've erected that are unhealthy for them that are we're trying to get them ready for life on the outside and and right. what we've really learned is that they are an enormous there's an, a just a monumental amount of um of potential inside of prison you know behind prison walls there are so many people that are so good so smart so creative so brilliant um that they can be the next caesar milan the next um the, you know the next big thing in dog training the next entrepreneur the next yeah. the next einstein the next oprah the next whomever you know it's yeah. um I, we've we've really just just dove into positive change and tried to put as, as much of our effort into it as we can that's beautiful i love that and that's why i like that program just because i you know when i saw that i was in juvenile hall for three weeks and i narrowly missed a federal prison sentence like 11 years ago and uh, it's like my daughter's father's in jail, my cousin's in jail. Like it's like, that has always been my, that was my past, all of that kind of stuff. And I know like what I saw in my own potential coming out, I think of all the people that just haven't had that chance. Yeah. And I love, I just have, and I know also how hard it is to probably get into these places. Like, because I mean, yeah, these people are locked up, like letting someone in to work with them and have access. So I just really honored that. And once I saw that, I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is really amazing. So it's the think, best thing ever. It really yeah, is. It's it the really best is. thing ever. I can't, I don't, if you get me started, I'm going to get pumped up. Because <laughs> it, um, what, what happens in there, you know, you have these people who, there's a reverse effect that happens within the criminal justice system where people become un reverse cultured. You're, you're essentially going, you know, most of our guys have all done more than 10 years in prison and they're, they're violent criminals. So these are guys with one or two strikes, you know, for violent offenses, sometimes stacked violent offenses, gang affiliation, no matter what they're, they're, you know, pretty much everyone's semi gang affiliated based on your race inside of the California state prison program. And they kind of become, you know, almost feral. They're, they're very withdrawn. Yeah. The, the point is to kind of, um, keep people away from you and, and we're really trying to to get in there and, and believe in them and give them a little bit of, you know if if you constantly you know pour shadow onto somebody and darkness and and you know vile things then guess what that's what you're going to get out of them yeah but if you pump some light into them and you believe in them a, a little bit i mean just a, if you believe in them a, just a skosh just a few iotas you know they're gonna they're gonna show you some stuff that might just blow your mind and if you believe in them a lot and you really get them, you know, get them the tools and the skills and just the practice, just carrying on a conversation between a man and a man or a man and a woman that isn't a correctional kind of exchange between a correctional officer and an inmate. You know, there's, there's a million different reasons this program is like critically important because yeah. guess what? When these guys get released and they don't have any hope, guess what's going down? Right. You know, they're going to reoffend and they're going to create a victim in the process. And, right. and there's no accountability for that right now. We just let, you know, hundreds of thousands of people back out on the streets with really no means to support themselves. They basically got a gigantic F for felon tattooed on their forehead that, that, you know, prevents them from getting hired. They're not allowed to be, they're virtually not allowed to be hired by most institutions of, of employment. Yeah. You know, it's incredibly difficult to navigate the, the, the housing market or, or, or federal assistance or state assistance or yeah. any of those things. It's really, really difficult. Like you what can't they're facing, yeah. When they're, what they're facing when they get out is, is a, is a heap of trouble, you know, and we're just trying to set them up for success and, and believe in them in the process. And, and uh, I've just fallen in love with these guys, man. And, and not because you know, a lot of people are going to give me shit for, 
you know, well, some of these people have, have taken part in, in the murders of other individuals. And I'm not taking away from that. You know, I, I fully yeah. understand that these people, that a lot of our guys and a lot of our girls have committed heinous crimes. Um, but there has to be a road to redemption. There has to be a pathway to not make it right or make it better, but to, to have a kind of living amends that says, listen, I'm, I'm going to try and make up for what I did. And I'm going to do that by contributing to society rather than taking from it anymore. And I, I think we that. have a way to do that, you know? And there's been living examples of that. Like just for anyone that's listening is like, is that even possible? I don't know if you know Shaka Senghor. Do you know him? I do. I know yeah. of him. I mean, I don't know him personally, but so, I know he worked for um, Anti-Recidivism Coalition. He's kind of uh, Scott Budnick's uh, go-to dude. Yeah, he's so sweet. Like Chanel and I met him at an Oprah event and my daughter was really drawn to him because her father is in jail for murder. And um, we don't have a relationship with him, but she saw like, I can't believe this guy did that. And now he's like better. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not that everyone is going to have that, but it's just, I love what he does in the world. And he is so nice. Like, so he took us out for, for um, Frappuccinos and stuff. Cause you know, Chanel just had questions about things. So anyway, I'm a big fan of him and it just goes to show. So I really love what you're saying there. And I just wanted to show that for yeah. anyone who wants to look him up. He's on Oprah. He's doing all these great things to help people yeah. prison reform. Um, so that being said, you have all this compassion. You are like fighting the fight for the dogs, for the humans. Tell us about your story. Cause I looked it up and didn't even know that that existed. I didn't know your background. Mm -hmm. I just knew about these foundations or, you know, that these nonprofits that you started. So it was, it's pretty miraculous in itself. Yeah. So let us yeah, well, know like, me, that part of you. Back up real quick and just say, yeah. like, shout out to, to Shaka and to Scott Budnick and to the anti recidivism anti-recidivism coalition there are a lot of organizations that are trying to get a footing in this space to help advocate for inmates because they see the potential and they understand you know what's going on and, and hats off to them and most of them are really scratching and clawing to stay alive um, yeah we're on our way to to washington dc in may to try and advocate and talk about our programs and hopefully wow. we'll have some success there but yeah I mean, us you know organizations that work in criminal justice reform and, and advocating for um, for liberated inmates really need to like support one another and just um, get, give one another a lot of love because we're all really, really working hard. And we, we um... anyways, moving yeah. on. So oh, that's good. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to him after this and I'll, I'll let him know to listen to this episode for sure. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Uh, I've always been really impressed with the uh, anti-recidivism coalition kind of showed us what's possible out there if you advocate passionately. And that's what, um, that, that's what I try to do. Um, yeah, so my story, man, I, I, this all started in, in liver failure. You know, I never thought I would have anything to do with dogs or that I would be a, you know, um, I, I just, there was no future of, my future didn't contain dogs. I've always had dogs. I've always been in love with dogs. I've always, um, they've always been a part of my life, but never did I think it would be part of my, my, my living. Um, so in 2008, uh, I started to turn yellow um, I've been at this point, I've been drinking and using drugs, you know, 24 hours a day for, um, sorry about that. It's okay. Keep going. It's outside so we, noise. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So I, um, yeah, I, I had been addicted to alcohol and drugs for, for a very long time. I was 28 years old at the time and started to turn yellow and started to swell up in my belly and a bunch of different things started to happen that really confused me that I wasn't sure what they meant. Um, I knew I was sick, but I was scared to death of, of going to the hospital. Um, you know, long story short, I, I waited and I waited and I waited and, and, you know, I finally went to go see a doctor and the doctor told me, listen, you're in liver failure. You need to go to a hospital immediately. 
I, I of course didn't. I told my dad that I would be fine, that mm -hmm. I wasn't in liver failure. I just told him, you know, the doctor recommended that I not take so much sleeping medication. I mean, totally lied through my teeth, you know, because I couldn't face life without uh, alcohol or drugs. You know, there was no uh, delineation between alcohol and me. You know, they were, yeah. they were, that was where all of my identity lied, was in my, my using and my drinking. And I um, frankly was just terrified I mean, utterly and completely terrified at the prospect of living without alcohol. So much so that mm -hmm. I, I thought about it often that if alcohol were ever taken away from me for whatever reason, I would just kill myself, you know, because I wow. I tried to, to, to live without it before. And I, um, you know, it was just not something that I could deal with. So when I finally, when my body really started to give out and uh, I couldn't keep up the charade anymore, you know, my, my dad my dad basically saw that I was leaking, you know, blood from both ends. You know, when you're coughing up oh blood gosh, regularly, yeah. you, you go through this, when you're liver failure, you're, you go through a, a whole bunch of different things, but one of them is called esophageal varices and, and your, the veins in your throat, in your esophagus essentially become varicose and they, they can rupture. And so my, they'd started to rupture and, you know, again, you're, you're you're bleeding out of both ends pretty profusely and yeah. it's a very very dangerous you know it's how a lot of people in liver failure die is by they bleed out orally yeah i think that's so, what happened to my mom actually uh, yeah I'm, I, i've seen it happen firsthand you know other than myself and uh it was a it was a really tough way to watch somebody wow. die and, and that's um that's how how it happens you know you end up getting your your throat cauterized they they, they have these bands or they do mm -hmm. it with a like a soldering machine they literally like burn your your veins closed oh my um, gosh wait you know, how old I, were you because you don't look very old right now i was 28 okay yeah okay i'm like yeah, okay i was 28 years old when i got sick and um and i i got checked into bakersfield memorial hospital and and when when i i don't remember most of this because i went into alcohol withdrawal like immediately um and they they had me heavily medicated but the doctors took one look at my blood test results and they took one look at me and they said to my dad you know your son needs a liver transplant and he's not going to get one you know he needs six months wow. sober to even qualify for a program and he's he's not they, they give you a score called the meld score which is model for end-stage liver disease mm. and um, my score was 36 which is three times the the score you need to be eligible for transplant and they just said man look you got you got less than 90 days to live no matter what so you know, we should think about sending you home on hospice or, or start thinking about some other options, but you know, you're, you're, you're not going to make it kind of period. Wow. So, um, needless to say, that was a, a shock to my whole family. And, um, my dad didn't want to deal with that. My dad's an engineer, you know, he just set his mind to the problem and fixing it. So I ended up getting admitted, um, to an interview with the comprehensive transplant center at Cedar sinai which is two hours away from the hospital i was at so we basically pulled all of the um tubes and stuff out of me you know everything that was that I, i'd been there for six weeks at the hospital and we got transferred to Cedar sinai and i met with dr tram tram and they admitted me to the comprehensive transplant center and i'm still a patient there um you know almost 11 years later and and really you know, I'm going to try to give you the abbreviated version, but when I got sent home from the hospital, they said, you know, you are going to die unless you completely stay off alcohol and drugs and you start praying, figuring out, you know, a way to live other than yourself. And, um, you know, you need to start moving. You have all this liquid, all this, all this blood that's pulled in your abdominal cavity, all this bile. And if you don't start moving, 
and try to get yourself better, you're going to die no matter what. Wow. And um, so when I got home, you know, and when I got, when they sent me home, I, I was very, very fragile. You know, I was not ready to not be in a hospital. And um, it was oh, did really... you get the transplant? No, no, I didn't. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I didn't know if I missed you know, that. It's a it's kind of a longer process to, to talk about. But um, yeah, what happened was I got home and they, and they said you need six months sober to qualify for a transplant. So we just set, you know, set our focus towards achieving six months of sobriety that was all i focused on was trying to move like move around like walk uh and to to get sober so the best way for me to walk you know um was my dogs and and i had three rescue dogs um one from rosemond elementary school that i rescued when i was working for the humane society and then marley and tug from the mojave shelter and they were my everything and um when i got home from the hospital they helped me go through opiate withdrawal you know i'd become addicted to dilaudid and morphine in the mm. hospital and um you know, they became my, my central focus, you know, so I, I was very, very, very close to, to taking my life. You know, that's really all that I thought about when I got home, because I, I was not, I was just no good at living. You know, I was just a freaking waste of space. And I felt like I was a burden to my family. And I was a burden to myself. And I just, I wasn't any good at being me. You know, I was just awful at being me. And, and I wanted a way out, you know, and, and there was one day where I met, can I curse on this? Yeah. So I had shit myself. I know that doesn't sound very glorious, yeah. but it's the truth. You know, I, I lost all control of my bowels for a period of, you know, a couple, couple weeks. And um, I gone to the bathroom on myself and, and um, it was kind of a difficult process to get up and clean myself off. It was the middle of the night. And I'm, so I'm basically naked looking at myself in the mirror covered in, in poop, you know, and um, feeling the lowest, the lowest kind of low you can feel, you know, where I just didn't know, know what I was looking at in the mirror. You know, I didn't recognize myself. I, I, I had shame. Like you couldn't believe, you know, just paralyzing shame. And I just wanted out, you know, I just didn't mm -hmm. want to be there anymore. And, and I, and I could feel my dogs, you know, presence. And I, I looked down at my look behind me and looked down and my dogs are all looking up at me. Like, again, I'm naked like 140 pounds so 40 pounds lighter than i am now with a nine months pregnant yellow swollen belly you know i'm completely yellow covered in bruises and my dogs are looking at me like i'm the sexiest man alive you know like, <laughs> I have, like the sun rises and sets with me and they don't <laughs> yeah. see me. you know and, and the big the big kind of aha moment for me was that my dogs saw me you know and they, they knew i was still in there and they yeah. and they they had hope for me and not only did they have hope for me they had hope for us and they believed in me and and and, um, and all, it was all good. You know, that was the other thing is they're so damn resilient that they don't really give you an opportunity to, to, to continue to feel sorry for yourself. And, and if I felt sorry for myself anymore, it was going to kill me. I mean, really, yeah. you know, self-pity is, is, a, is, a, is a mortal disease sometimes. And totally. I just, I, I had gotten so far in my life feeling sorry for myself. That's how I got alcohol. That's how I got drugs. That's how I got money. That's how I got people. You know, I got people to feel sorry for me and they bought into my bullshit and they gave me what I needed sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it all kind of just, Marley's Mutts was literally born that night in the bathroom. And, and the next, I made a commitment to my dogs that we were gonna, we were gonna start walking, you know? Just that the next day we were gonna get up and we were gonna quit the bullshit and start walking. And, and that's what we did. We started walking every morning um, and then trying to walk as often as I could, you know, at the time I was really, really sick. So I couldn't walk very far. 
Um, but I started to get a little bit further and a little bit further. And then before you know it, like I, I started to get better, you know, yeah. and I started to add dogs into my pack. I started to, to volunteer for the Humane Society again for the large dog foster program. So I started bringing dogs in. I started walking them. I started pouring my creative energy into writing up stories and uh, taking photographs and, and just being present with the dogs, you know, and, and, and slowly but surely, like it just caught on and, and people started noticing this, you know, this like yellow guy who's running around with dogs, putting posters out. This is pre-social media. So yeah. just, I put up posters all over walls, you know, anywhere that they let me put up dog posters and they would all be ridiculous, right? Like I, I would write uh, any black dog I had, I would name after a significant African-American in history, usually like <laughs> blues or jazz artists. Yeah. So I would write it from their perspective or, you know, just. Oh, that's stuff, cute. You know, and, and uh, it just took off. And before you know it, people were, people were saying, well, you should start a dog rescue and, and, and I want to come volunteer for you. And I'm going volunteer for what? You know? <laughs> and, and even Marley's Mutt's the name. Like I didn't even come up with the name. It was one of the gals who worked at our pet store locally. She's like, you know, you really need to do this. This is something you should do. And, and at the time, you know, we rescued mutts and all, all the rescues that existed at the time were pure breed dog rescues, like oh. Shepherd Rescue, Doberman Pinscher Rescue. There was no rescue yeah. for like the, the mutts, man. Like the dogs that I had were yeah. you know, and what we are, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and Marley was my pack leader. Marley was my, my, my dog, my main dog. He was this Rottweiler pit bull, just the the, the most he had everything I wanted in life in terms of calm collected assertive demeanor he would never pick a fight in a million years but he'd break one up or he'd end one you yeah. know and like girls wanted to be with him guys wanted to be like him you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. uh, he was just the best man and, and they all really helped pull me out of a, a very 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 dark place and um and we were just off to the races Marley's Mutz is, was created in that time I, I think I incorporated in the state of California uh, eight months after I got out of the hospital six months after I got out of the hospital I had my review which is my big kind of like sit down with the, the comprehensive transplant program and they said look like you qual you are now transplant like eligible because you've got six months sobriety but your numbers have improved so radically that you no longer need a liver transplant so whatever wow. and th this is how they were too they were like we have no idea what you're doing because what has happened doesn't make medical sense. Yeah. But keep doing what you're doing and, and, and whatever you do, don't stop. And so I haven't stopped. You know? That's, that's so powerful. So it's like, you know, like love and dogs and being focused on something other than yourself and getting sober. That is, that's so powerful. So going back to with Marley's Mutts, I know I read in an article that as of October, 2018, you guys, you saved over 5,000 dogs, like 5,000 rescues. Yeah, man. I don't even know. It, it's got to be up around that number because we, we were transporting a ton and we were, you know, we, we, we average about a dog or two a day. Wow. Um, and then with, you know, especially with, with transport, it was, uh, there were so many dogs coming in and out. We have a program called Mutt Movers, which is, uh, we partnered with Motor City Buick TMC here locally and we have a, a really rad rescue van that we schlep dogs to and from and that's amazing. Uh, so that's that's really helped increase our, our rescue capacity considerably so with like getting a dog i mean i know even when i was rescuing my dog his name one of my dogs actually marley the other one was a foster that failed um we went to the spca and we're like getting a dog and it's so hard you see all the dogs and you don't want to leave them there for you 
and you've been going to this for a long time. Do you still go and pick the dogs yourself, or do you have staff that are going and like? No, safe? no, I go all the time. You go all the time. Yeah, like the, the, typically what happens, people often wonder about the process for us. And typically what happens is the shelter staff will reach out and, um, and shoot me a text message with some pictures and some videos. And they'll say, hey, this dog's been here for too long or this dog's broken or these puppies mm -hmm. just arrived and they don't have a mom. So they're in danger of being euthanized. So we just kind of go through, you know, the, the list and we see what we can do. And we, we just try to make things happen. Yeah, that's so sweet. So you don't have to actually go through and like, because that's, a, I was going to ask you about your own mental health and well being. Yeah. Like, what's that like? Do you have practices and things? I mean, it's tough. I have a hard time. Yeah. I follow a lot of dog accounts and it's so sad seeing all the dogs that have been abused and the dogs that are in yeah. rehab and the dogs that don't make it. Like, some days I'm like, oh my yeah. God, I can't deal with another dog dying on the internet. I don't even know these yeah. dogs. But well, I really how think that there's, well, I mean, I, I still comb the shelters, you know, every week. We, we are at mm -hmm. the shelter walking up and down aisles every week trying to see what we can help. So that process is still, you know, it, it, uh, it, it is heartbreaking. It is difficult, but yeah. it's also what we do. And it's just there's no, no real difference between like a emergency worker, you know, somebody who has to look at, you know, beat up or dead humans, you know, on a regular basis. We're, we're just yeah. doing something that we that we are passionate about that we're good at and, and that we, we need to do for our own well-being and for the animals well-being. Yeah. Um, so we keep trudging, you know, and in terms of, of mental health, I think, I think as an organization where I really want to focus is, is making it positive. It's always going to suck that, you know, some people haven't quite gotten with the program yet and that paradigms haven't shifted in, you know, certain areas, you know, where we, we, we want everyone to treat animals, treat pets like family. You know, we want everyone to do that. But, right. you know, it's, it's a process of bringing everyone up to speed and culturally making that shift. And, and if we just constantly harp on the negative, you know, it's, it's going to drive us all insane. And I, I really have a problem with how much negativity there is out there. I mean, we have yeah. a program called A Final Gift. And we, we show, we, we take dogs that are terminally ill. So either have cancer or some other terminal illness or whatever. And we show them a great last 24 hours or last week or whatever, hmm. whatever they're looking at. And we just, and then we have, at the end of it, we euthanize them and we usually do it at the ranch and then we bury them at the ranch or we bury them at the top of my favorite hike. And we mourn as a group, as yeah. a, as a social media collective, as a family. And we talk about the positive stuff. Yeah. You know, the, the last dog that we did for this was right before my daughter was born. Her name was Scarlett. And she, she passed away the day before my daughter was born. And, and I'm, I, I have to believe that she did that to make room for my daughter. And, mm. and we got to make it this wonderful send off where we, we put her to sleep and, and we buried her at the ranch. And it was a, it was sad, of course, but it was positive because we, we got to see what we as a team did for this dog. And let's yeah. live in that. And yeah. too much. I mean, even people that I'm associated with post all of this negative stuff about living in the past with what these, what these, you know, what the previous owners were like and, and mm. what the previous guardians, how they failed this animal. And like, we know that everyone knows that's obvious, right? You know, there's nothing we can do about that. But what we can do is, is live in this beautiful moment that we're creating as a group, as a family, all of us, like, the beautiful thing about a final gift is the whole, our whole social media family can take part in this. And you know what? We get to mourn together. That's healthy. That's yeah. healthy. We got to let shit out. If we don't let shit out and cry 
and 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 pool our collective mourning, then we're we're gonna be fucking shut down. I mean, we're really gonna yeah. have a lot of, and I felt it build up in myself before over the years of doing rescue. You know, it's a it's a grind, and right. uh, if you don't let it out and you don't kind of come together over the good and the bad, then you're gonna go nuts, man. And, yeah. and it's I, I see how it affects the masses. You know, when we choose to focus on on the the previous guardians who let it uh, let an, an animal down all the comments are negative every single comment is oh man I, yeah i would let me at him or yeah this, that or the other it doesn't achieve anything and it certainly doesn't honor the memory of the dog yeah it's know? a lot of resistance uh, yeah it's just counterproductive we need to we need to go out of our way to make things positive and um that's what that's what we try to do so that's the final gift. I love that because that kind of reminds me of, and I feel like you're, you guys are all connected, all of these dog um, like rescues, but like mm -hmm. the deserving dogs, mm -hmm. they do the hospice. And like Freddie Mercury is like my dog internet boo. I love that yeah, little she, dog. <laughs> she's, actually, uh, she's actually our ranch manager. She, she works oh. for us. Oh, that's your ranch. Okay. So yeah. see, I'm like connecting all the dots. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like when I see when they take in the hospice dogs and they just give them like a few weeks of, like just love being able to sleep yeah, in the house yeah. and blanket. I'm like, Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> like, that's so essentially sweet. what that program, that, that's kind of what our program is. It, it's supposed to be that those dogs that, that she took into the house or were kind of our final gift. Oh, um, th that's what, um, yeah, she's our ranch manager. We, we hired her 11 months ago. She lives at our, our rescue ranch. I know it's hard sometimes for people to tell the difference between what deserving dogs is and what Marley's mutts is, but yeah, she, yeah. Um, it's all good. You guys are all helping the dogs. So, but for, we'll put all these links, but I think it's, it's just so important because I know a lot of people do think that when a dog is a senior dog, just like leave it. And I think that's so sweet to like worry about that last time period. Um, so yes, that is really amazing. One thing I want to ask you, have you watched the documentary, the work? Cause it's been kind of going like viral. And I feel like in my community of I have not. teachers and healers, Oh, I think you would really like it. It's, um, it's, this it's uh, people from the outside. I don't know what this program is or how they get in, but it's men from the outside, just men that are like, I'm kind of bored with my life or I feel like I'm in a funk or I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. And they go into, uh, I think it's Wasco, one of the big prisons and they mm -hmm. do this deep work around healing, being intimate and like in the confines of this program, there's like no gang affiliation. There's no race. There's no, none of this. And it's really, it's really intense, but I think that you would, you would like it. Yeah, that's right up my alley. I mean, the the best part of being in, in prison is it's such a dark place and you feel so much dark energy um, that when, you, when you're able to bring a little bit of light in there that kind of allows people to feel something positive, it's, uh, it, it shines that much brighter, you know? It's, yeah. it's really transformative. The men were so powerful. The way that the men, the prisoners, held the space for the people from outside, it was remarkable. Um, yeah. So one thing I want to ask you, because I know that some people have like, um, like Amazon lists and there's ways that people can give back. Like, what do you guys need right now? What are you looking for? Like, how can the listeners support Marley's well, Mutts or of different Change? Ways. Like, yeah, the best way you can support uh, Marley's Mutts is depending on the area that you live in, you know, um, fostering and volunteering. So we're, we're building up our foster network in Los Angeles. So it'd be wonderful to have some more people sign up. And, and what it takes to foster is pretty simple. It's, yeah, you know, we, we provide all the supplies and all those, you know, most of the logistical support. 
sometimes we'll need you to take them to the veterinary hospital or pick them up or something like that. But um, it's a great way to, to get your family oriented with being, you know, a part of something greater than yourself. Um, and obviously donating, you know, and donating is, is important because that's how we operate. You know, we, we don't have big grants. We operate for a grassroots organization that operates off small donations, thousands and thousands of small donations. So we're kind of like the Bernie Sanders of, of rescue, you know? <laughs> um, and then, and then you can really digitally advocate. There are a ton of ways to digitally advocate. We need more than anything. We need video content. You know, one of the things we need the most is, is someone to help us create video content. Oh, sweet. Um, and, and, okay. and also just sharing posts, you know, sharing yeah. posts and liking posts and commenting on things. When you, when you share stuff and you tag people and you tag friends and that's the way that that's the way to advocate. That's sometimes more effective than, than if you were to come with us to the shelter, you know? Yeah, I can see how that is. And, and I love that. And I would say definitely guys, if you're listening, fostering, fostering is the best. Like I just love, I, when I lived in LA, I fostered a lot and I loved it. And now I like miss it because I don't want to adopt any more dogs right now. We live in an apartment, <laughs> but yeah. I love being able to foster them for like two weeks at a time. And you know, then they go away and then new ones come. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah. And it's just such a blessing to do that. So thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing this. And I want everyone that's listening, like, I would love to hear your feedback as always screenshot the show, share it, uh, follow the accounts. And if you can just give like whatever, whatever feels good. If you're in LA, definitely try fostering. I know a lot of people tell me they're scared to foster because they're scared. What if I can't give the dog up or I'm going to be so sad? I will say this. I tell my daughter this. It's such a lesson in loving unconditionally because everything that you love doesn't mean you have to hang on to it forever. It doesn't yeah. mean that you can't just let it go. So one of the things with we, when we were fostering, it was, it was sad letting some of the dogs go after we had them for three weeks or something, but it was so beautiful knowing that now they're going to also have someone to love them and that they were yeah. going to move on, you know? And just knowing that you're part of the solution, you know, like yeah. you really, there's a, I've, I've been fostering dogs continuously for the last 15 years. Like I've, I've never not had a foster dog. And um, <laughs> it really helps you feel plugged into the, the bigger picture and, and what, what the solutions are. So um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We're going to have all your links. Um, and I'm sure that you'll hear from people and I'll be tagging you when I share the show. So keep doing what you're doing. I'll be watching, supporting, and I'm just grateful for what you guys are up to. Awesome. I appreciate the time very much. Thank you. And there you have it, my friends. I want to know what's your favorite takeaway from today's show? I love when you share your highlights from the show. Be sure to tag me when you share so I can give you a proper shout out. If you haven't already, subscribe. And while you're there, rate and review because your feedback, it really means the world to me. Until next time, remember to harmonize your hustle.